Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters Podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everyone, and once again, may I welcome you to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. Available in paperback and ebook, as well as being in the lending library at Amazon.com. Also, for your listening pleasure, Volume 6, 5, 4, and 3 are available on audiobook at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. So do take advantage of that. Well, my friends, we are loaded for bear today. Oh, how I love this stuff. <laughs> and I know that you do also. And so, let's begin the McGee, shall we? As I once again welcome my co-host and brother, Kevin, to the show. Kevin, how are you today, brother? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Fantastic. I just told you we had 90 degrees temperature yesterday, and it's 55 and raining today. What a swing. Fall is here. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) But uh, maybe we'll get a little bit of that Indian summer action, as we call it here. Maybe, maybe. Could spark Bigfoot activity. I saw some big snowstorms in the northwest this week that were unexpected and unforecasted so you never know yeah that is incredible when (laughs) i see those snowstorms banging the people up there it's crazy Uh, yeah and we're talking you know a fair amount of snow this is not a flurry now multiple feet out in uh, the pacific northwest of the u.s oh my goodness pretty impressive For all of our friends, Wes, if you're listening, I hope you got a snowblower, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Holy smoke. Few feet. Boing. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Well, Kev, I'm sure you've got something waiting in the wings today in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment. So why don't you have at it? Oh, yeah. I got a good one for you. Classic. Okay. Um, We're going to talk about the Falk Monster. So Ooh. that's F-O-U-K-E, Falk. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, you may know the Falk monster as the legend of Boggy Creek. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it turns out that uh, the Falk monster was named after the city of Falk, Arkansas, or maybe the town of Falk, Arkansas. And uh, if we look at the map to start out, uh, Falk is down in the southwestern corner of Arkansas, very close to the borders between Arkansas, Texas, and the state of Louisiana. And Mm. really, the closest city to Falk is called Texarkana. And as the name suggests, Texarkana actually spans spans the border between Mm. Texas and Arkansas. Wow, that's interesting. Now, hey, Kev, did you ever see that uh, Boggy Creek movie? You know, I saw it many years ago, but I'm I'm going to have to watch it again after doing this research. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I never saw the movie. Yeah, they made it like a documentary. You know, mm-hmm. kind of like the Blair Witch Project. You know, it was right not real, but made to look real. 
Right. Yeah. I, I've seen snippets of it through the years, but I, I never sat down in the theater. I'm not even sure if it was here in the theater. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember where I saw it, but it was a long time ago, you know. And we'll okay, we'll so, talk about it a little bit. Yeah, go ahead, bro. Yeah, so the, the Falk monster, uh, some of the reports, believe it or not, date back to 1851. And uh, they were reported in a periodical called the Memphis Inquirer. So now I don't know if like the Memphis Inquirer was the early version of what we call the National Inquirer <laughs> here in the States. You know. And for, for you international folks, uh, the National Inquirer is not known for uh, truthfulness of its stories. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I wonder if they had any mob hits splattered all over the cover like we did up here. <laughs> It's like every every six months somebody was blown away in a pizzeria or something, and they had the uh, color photos of it on the photo, perfect uh, on the cover, perfect, yeah, jeez. So that was back in 1851, but then more recent reported sightings occurred back in 1953 and 1955, and back then uh, the most famous sightings were reported by a 14 year old boy. And he described this monster as, you know, this large creature walking upright with long reddish brown hair all over its body. Wow. And then there was a break of about 20 years or so. And then most of the accounts and the most famous accounts, certainly, of the Falk monster occurred back in 1971 and 1972. And we're going to go through these here. Now that these are all around the same area, same little city there, and it's very rural. You know, from what I can tell, looking at it on uh, on uh, all the materials I could get, uh, mostly across the internet. You know, photos and maps and stuff like that. Yeah, and you know this reddish brown fur. I mean, if I've heard that once, I've heard it a hundred times. That is one of the mo's of a lot of Bigfoot sightings. I've heard the color auburn. Uh, red highlights, uh, maroon, you know, so there is, uh, there's something to this going back quite a ways and in many different locations uh, around uh, North America, that coloration. Yes, super cool. Uh, And again, very common with things we've heard. And when I get into some of the descriptions here, you'll, uh, you'll note some of these are very much in common. And then we'll hit one of the classics that kind of goes either way in its description. <laughs> wow. I can't wait. All right. So the fir- first, we're going to talk about uh, uh, some of these major accounts. And the first one is in May 1971. And this comes from uh, the Encyclopedia of Arkansas, where they have all kinds of different facts about Arkansas. And this this account uh, in 1971 uh, a was reported by a gentleman by the name of Bobby Ford. Uh, and he reported it to the Falk constable, so the lawman of Falk, that he was attacked at his house by a hairy creature that breathed heavily, had red eyes, and moved very fast. Hmm. Ford said the man-like creature, which was about seven feet tall and three feet across at the chest, put his arm around his shoulder and grabbed him. Ford broke free from the creature and ran, reporting that he ran so fast that he did not open the front door 
but barreled right through it. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, you know, do you remember when they had that bouncer competition? And uh, that's where that uh, character, Mr. T, made his debut. Oh, yeah, that's right. You remember that? One of the things they had to do was bash through a, a closed door that was in a frame, like on the stage or something. Good old Mr. T. I pity the fool. <laughs> I, I pity the fool. I pity the fool that puts his hairy arm around me. <laughs> I was oh just thinking God. of like the cartoons, you know, where someone gets scared and then they run through the door and you see an outline of the character. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, the shape of their body is like. Right through the wood. Oh, that's great stuff. So yeah. go ahead. I, yeah. I didn't mean I didn't mean to blow this out of the water, but <laughs> my okay. mind works in weird ways. Poor Bobby Ford. So uh, <laughs> it turns out he was treated at a local hospital for minor scratches, but a good case of shock. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. Right. So he's so frightened he runs through the door of his house. Jeez. And um, <clears throat> Ford said the being had been around his house for several days and that there were other eyewitnesses, including his brother and a hunting companion. Now, get this. Ford's wife, Elizabeth, claimed that she was asleep in the front room when she saw a hairy arm with claws coming in the window. She also saw the creature's red eyes. Jeez. Yeah, and on the night of the attack, Ford claimed he and his hunting companion spotted the creature at the back of Ford's house with the aid of a flashlight. They shot at it and thought they saw it fall. The men started out toward it, but Bobby Ford ran back to the house when the group heard women screaming. Upon, wow. Yeah, exactly. Upon Ford's return to the house, he was attacked. So that's what happened there. Um, the men shot at the creature several more times, but the investigators never found any signs of blood. The sheriff's department searched the area, and the only things officers found were a set of strange tracks and claw scratches on the Ford's porch. Wow. So then, You know something? Hey, Kev. Yeah, go ahead. We're, to- we're talking a huge target here uh, and close range. I know. I mean, I I can't believe these guys have guns and nobody's hitting this thing. I'm sure they're hitting this thing with something. With something, yeah, yeah. And wow. I mean, but keep in mind, they're terrified, right? Like, I don't know how good your aim's going to be when you see something weird like this, right? I don't. Know. I don't know. I'm speaking for myself. It's going to be pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> it's going to be pretty good, bro. And there's going to be multiple <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> oh my goodness. So then Jim Jim Powell, who was a reporter for the Texarkana Gazette and the Texarkana Daily News, again, that's that town close by, and Dave Hall, then director of Texarkana radio station, KTFS, went to Ford's place and found a terrified family moving out of the house that it had owned less than a week. So, you know, apparently they'd only been in this house for about a week, they had a feeling that a creature was watching them, and then they get attacked by the creature. Good grief. Awful, right? Yeah, and you know what? He went. This is the same fellow that went to the constable or the policeman? Same guy, yep. I mean, look, Kev, are you going to go to a cop and report some fictitious story? You look, and you're new to the, Maybe he's new to the neighborhood. He's only there for a week. Exactly. Not you likely, look, unless you really saw something. Yeah, you're going to look like an imbecile, like, oh, boy, who moved into the neighborhood now? Right. 
And then you end wow. up in the hospital after running through your door. You know. Yeah, the hospital and probably the dentist. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> I pity the fool. <laughs> so Powell, oh. Jim Powell, that reporter, uh, wrote an article that appeared in the newspaper outlining the family's alleged sighting and attack. The next day, both the Texarkana Gazette and the Texarkana Daily published the same follow-up story. It contained the first reference to the name Folk Monster. So that's the first time we ever heard that name. Wow. The, the Associated Press and uh, United Press International Wire Services transmitted the article to newspapers across the nation. They did find some large three-toed footprints close to the house. So when you look at these accounts, he talk, they talk about these tracks that they're large, kind of like a Bigfoot track, but they have three toes. Yeah, that's weird. Really weird. But it's, it's also interesting. Like one of the scientific skeptics, one of the reasons, and this is kind of silly to me, one of the reasons why they cite that this is not believable is that they don't know of any creature with uh, three toes. So, mm. you know, that's that's ape-like, which is kind of silly, right? Because obviously we're not talking about a gorilla walking around in near Texarkana. No, and also, you know something, though, that comes to mind? And you know, folks, I think the Rougarou is a demonic entity. But I'm not talking about that right now. What I'm talking about is uh, a number of Rougarou print sightings are uh, of three-toed variety. That's right, yeah. Kind of that claw-like three-toed. Yeah, weird foot configuration. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Yeah, so that's the first sighting, and the second okay. sighting we're going to dive into uh, comes here. So this this creature was sighted again several weeks later, so same time frame, when three people uh, by the name of D.C. Woods Jr., Wilma Woods and Mrs. R.H. Sedgas reported seeing an ape-like creature crossing U.S. Route 71. More sightings were made over the following months by local residents and tourists who found additional footprints. The best-known footprints were found in a soybean field belonging to a local gas station owner, Scott Keith. They were scrutinized by game warden Carl Galeon, who was unable to confirm their authenticity. Like the Ford prints, they appeared to indicate that the creature had only three toes. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. Very bizarre. You know, and when we talk about all of these uh, gorilla uh, comparisons and whatnot, uh, people need to keep in mind that the gorilla as we know it, like the silverback, mm -hmm. uh, wasn't discovered until like 1847, I believe. Up until that point in time, there were no uh, parameters to judge anything by in reference to this looks like a gorilla. Now, certainly if you've seen uh, a silverback, uh, who was that woman, Kev, that used to put herself in harm's way all the time to take the fo photographs in movies? Oh, was that uh, Jane Goodall? With Jane the, with Goodall, the thank you. Yeah. yeah, and those pictures of her sitting in the jungle, she was a frail little lady. 
uh, with those monsters, I remember the giant silverback coming out and like bluff charging her and walking around by her. And I said to myself, holy cow, how could she have the, the nerve to sit there uh, while this was going on around her? But she did. And I mean, thank God she did, because we got a lot of data out of that. But uh, the comparison to a gorilla, if you look at a, a big silverback, they don't look anything like a Bigfoot. No, I mean, uh, only in that, you know, you could imagine Bigfoot has that similar muscular frame, you know, like you see one of these silverbacks and they are all muscle, right? Oh, yeah, man. They're just and they're so business. broad at the shoulders and chest. Yeah, I mean, they 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 could literally take a small tree down for sure. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but all no. these th- things are coming into my head here. It's all good. Yep. Um, <clears throat> the creature began to attract substantial interest during the early 70s. So as these sightings are going on, more and more people are seeing them. Certainly the attacks of the on the Ford family. Um, and then after that news spread out, the, the Little Rock, Arkansas, so, you know, up northeast of uh, the town of Folk, uh, the radio station there, K-A-Y, posted a $1,090 bounty on the creature. I don't know. I'm just guessing. But I guess their uh, call numbers were 1090. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that's a pretty good guesstimation there, bro. Well, they took up a collection around town, and that's what it added up to. <laughs> yeah, 1090 and 23 cents. <laughs> oh, my God. And a piece of bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> but we're keeping the comic. That's right. So so several attempts were made to track the creature with dogs after they uh, put this bounty out there, but they were typically unable to follow the scent of the creature. And when hunters began to take interest in the monster, uh, Miller County Sheriff Leslie Greer was forced to put out a temporary no-guns policy in place in order to preserve public safety. So I guess... Folks were running around uh, shooting at anything that moved. Probably shot a couple of cows, too, or something. Yeah. <laughs> I got him! <laughs> That's my cow. Hey, you shot Bessie the cow. <laughs> yeah, they must have been running around like vigilantes oh, over yeah. there. You know, that wow. 1090 bounty in the 70s down in Arkansas was big money. That's a lot of money, yeah. In yeah. the 70s, it was a lot of money here. Yeah, absolutely. So in 1972, uh, word of the monster was boosted when Charles B. Pierce released a documentary-style horror film that we talked about uh, called The Legend of Boggy Creek. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, by late 1974, so a couple of years later, interest had waned again and sightings all but stopped. And then they got started again about four years later in 1978 when tracks were reportedly found by two brothers that were uh, prospecting in Russellville, Arkansas, so nearby. And then we had some more sightings that year in Center Ridge, Arkansas, and and another sighting in Crossett, Arkansas. So, you know, they were all around. And then there was also reports of missing livestock and attacks on several folks' dogs that they actually blamed on the creature. 
Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. I had that account uh, of the couple in New Jersey, and I'll just touch on that briefly. Uh, they had reports. You know how people post pictures, Kev, on telephone poles when their dog or oh, cat yeah, is yeah. missing? Absolutely, yeah. So they had this situation ongoing for a couple of years, and it was a fairly uh, high-end neighborhood uh, and this guy uh, had commented that most of the dogs were small pedigrees. So it got to the point where the local news uh, outlet was starting to post, you know, like, well, another dog was taken in such and such neighborhood this week. And they thought they had a dog napper uh, on the loose, a thief stealing these pedigrees to sell them or whatever. And uh, the long and short of it was, in the end of the account, this guy had put his dog out. They wound up getting a dog in spite of the dog napping. And uh, he had his dog out in the rain one night on a tether on a chain. Now, he had an, uh, a galvanized, like, three or four foot long auger turned into the ground with a welded uh, stainless link chain on it and a brass snap swivel on the end attached to this uh, shepherd's choker collar. Mm. So this is I'm trying to give you the visual of the assembly here because this was no, you know, rinky-dink thing with a rotten clothesline. I mean, this, <laughs> this, this, this was quite the setup he had. Serious he hardware. Yeah, he forgot... He got caught up on working on the computer, and he shouted down to his wife asking her if she let the dog in. And she said, no, I thought he was with you. He goes downstairs, opens the door. It's raining out. Usually the dog would be sitting scratching at the door to get back in, particularly in the rain. He looks outside, and the chain is laying on the ground with no dog attached to it. Mm. And he goes out there, and the... Now, mind you, there's a snap on this thing hooked to a ring on a choker collar. But the snap is gone and the chain is broken Mm. and the dog is gone. Wow. And in the uh, damp soil with this rain coming down is one singular giant footprint. Mm. So that was pretty... uh, pretty creepy when you talk about dogs missing people blaming it on that uh i have no, uh, why would you doubt that you know if you're opportunistic it's a meal right like grabbing a goat a lamb whatever sure sure i mean i, I don't think they mind eating dog <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness no they're hungry they're hungry yeah, so uh, where are we going? Here I go again, sidetracking. No, that's all good. So, you know, all those sightings and the movie were back in the 70s or movies. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was quiet for a while. And then there are several different sightings. I'm not going to go through all of them from 2013 into 2017. And the typical sightings are around uh, folks driving down the road there, again, near near that part of Arkansas, and seeing something crossing the road. And, uh, you know, so they're driving down, couples usually, and they see this very tall, hairy, human-like figure uh, standing at the tree line or 
scurrying across the road. And then what's also interesting in some of these sightings is about 10 of them that are reported. Uh, some report like a smaller version of the same creature, like four feet tall and five feet tall. So it's kind of like maybe they're like juvenile versions of the yeah. folk monster. Wow. Holy smoke. And, you know, here we go with the glowing red eyeballs again. I know. That's that's that feature I was talking about at the beginning where, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of either have it or we don't, you know. Yeah. And, you know, again, unless you shine a light at something and it's reflecting back at you, what is the source of luminescence in eyeballs. Mm. I mean, the only thing I know of personally that glows in that type of fashion are the squid at night, like down by uh, Stony Brook. Mm-hmm. I mean, and by the way, this is squid season over there. These guys go down there with these long poles and nets, and they have headlamps. Uh, and they stand by the rail on the incoming tide and scoop those suckers up. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I like. I have no interest in catching these squid, but I like to sit, uh, stand down there and watch these guys do it. Watch them grab them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, these things just give out these pulses of that bright uh, yellow-green neon light in the dark water, wow. and it's just, it's really cool. Very cool. I've never seen that. Yeah, and this is the season, like uh, September, October, even in, into November. Uh, they're uh, nailing these suckers over there. I guess they're eating them or using them for bait or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, probably both. Yeah, very interesting. Squid wow, hunting this- season. Yes, yeah, squid hunting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's our account, Bill, of the uh, Falk monster from Falk, Arkansas, that uh, ended up being the source uh, of the uh, series of movies around the legend of Boggy Creek. Yeah, that is some really creepy stuff, boy, I'll tell you. It is pretty creepy. Well, I got to go and watch the movies again. Yeah, I mean, I'd really like to catch uh, a viewing of this thing at some point in time. Uh, But, uh, you know, I was never much of a monster movie person. Uh, I mean, like uh, when I was young, I saw Frankenstein, Dracula. I was going to say, except for the old 430 movies, right? Those were were classic. (laughs) At some point in my life, I got away from the monster thing, you know. But when I was young, yeah, we had... Chiller. Oh, that's right. The six-fingered hand coming up yeah. out of the ground. Uh, chiller, uh, chiller Theater, and we had Creature Feature. Creature Feature, yeah, that's it. Remember that with that nasty-looking face, like, with the lights pulsing around it? We always looked at it like, what is that? <laughs> and then they what? would throw in, like, uh, Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman, you know, in the uh. same spot. Let me tell you something. I my one of my top movies of all times. Uh Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Remember with Bella Lugosi <laughs> and Lon Chaney and uh, they had them all there for the movie, all the stars as they they were uh, depicted as monsters. That was the freaking greatest. They did, man. you know, all those Abbott and Costello movies, they, you know, it was a comedy of course, but they did have the real uh, uh, monster actors, and they were creepy looking, you know. Yeah, especially yeah. in black and white, right? It's like, whoa. yeah, it, it was like the perfect mix of uh, creep show and comedy. Exactly, exactly. 
You know, and I bet you the budget on those movies was like three bucks in a six pack. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look at that. They talk about movies today. Oh, a budget, 40 million, 60 million, uh, 200 million. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, wow. All right. So let me dive in here. I got something really interesting uh, to talk about here today. Uh, this account was told to me by a fellow named uh, Alec Hertz, uh, a resident of Northern California. And this is what uh, Alec had to say. That's A-L-E-C, Alec. He says, I was at the time and am still a resident of the state of California. And let's just say that I live within a hundred mile radius of Sacramento. If you feel as though I am being a bit elusive by saying this, you would be correct in your presumption. For the tale which I am about to spin is centered on gold, and I will not be offering any tips as to where I do my panning. The fact of the matter being that as of the time of this event and until this present day, I have panned, shall we say, north of $500,000 worth of gold. So this guy's, uh, you know, he's pretty good at what he's doing with his pan and his uh, locations over there in California. In 2008, I was panning in one of the many locations in which I work, having hiked in for several hours just to get to the location. Whether, it, whether or not it is a creek or a river, I am not willing to say. But suffice to say, I was near what I will call the headwaters of this particular body of water, at a location where the water was descending through a wide, rocky crag, which formed the starting point for this body of water. This crag, or chasm, whatever the proper word may be, was wide and deep as it cut through the rock. And throughout this gap was strewn a million years worth of rocks and large boulders, heaped one upon the other like a bucket of rocks. I had been in this location at least a dozen times before, and had never once thought of attempting to navigate this boulder field to investigate what may be on the other side. It was October 27th, and the weather was already getting a wee bit cold. The sky was blue, and I had been panning for about two hours. I had just stepped away from my pan in order to relieve myself, and as I stood there, I suddenly had the strongest sensation that I was being watched. So strong was this sensation at the time that I almost felt as though something was trying to enter my mind. I, I know this all sounds very strange, but it was like a pressure was building within my mind that seemed like it was trying to take over my very thinking. For whatever reason, I suddenly turned my head to my left, which was looking directly into the chasm. And when I did, a large and hairy head ducked down behind a boulder some 50 feet within the edge of the rock pile. Turning my head back in front of me, I kept a watch out of my peripheral vision, hoping that I would see whatever this was again, and I did. 
I caught it moving between two large rocks, where it was once again concealing itself from my view. Now, before I say what I am about to, most people would think that I was out of my mind. But I had my pistol, so I was not without some type of protection from whatever this may be. I took a good-sized rock and threw it into the pile just to the left of where I had seen this thing move, and I heard a grunt of sorts which reminded me of Scooby-Doo, the cartoon character dog. This time I stood my ground watching. And waiting, and it paid off. The creature stood up and looked directly at me, and I now knew it was a full-blown Sasquatch standing within the boulders. Our face-to-face standoff lasted but 20 seconds, as the creature turned and started to work its way back through the boulder pile, heading northward into the chasm. I began to give chase, struggling my way through the pile as I could already see that the Sasquatch had gained a considerable lead on me, having no issue whatsoever negotiating the rocks, while I was stumbling and bumbling my way through the field. For some 30 minutes, I had entirely lost track of the beast, but I was unrelenting in my pursuit, at which point I came to a break in the canyon wall where there seemed to be what I will call a natural cave formed in the rocky wall. At this point, I was about 40 yards away from this cave and was resting while standing in between two large boulders. It was then that I began to hear what I will describe as being a loud conversation between several very distinct and unintelligible voices, coming from within the cave. They were very loud in their intonations, and the cave opening was acting as a speaker. What was being said, I do not know, but it sounded like bad Chinese in a subtitled movie. The creature which I had followed through the field, which led me into this area, uh, appeared to be a female. A fact which I bring up having seen what appeared to be a breast as it was climbing over the rocks on all fours at one point. Now it seemed to me that I was hearing a family of sorts, perhaps talking over the sighting of this weird human by the female. I sat there for almost two hours while still hearing sounds coming periodically from the mouth of the cave, and nothing else came out of or went into the cave, at which point I began making my way out of the area, which I did. One of the most remarkable things about this encounter was the agility that this creature demonstrated while negotiating this random field of boulders. For somebody in the best physical condition, it would have presented quite a challenge as it did for me. And yet, the Sasquatch moved through it like a child's obstacle course. At one point, I watched as it stepped from the ground to atop a five-foot-tall boulder with a single step, hoisting its body up with nothing but a singular leg movement. 
Its body was a shaggy, blondish red color, and I would estimate its size as being seven feet tall and maybe five feet wide at the shoulders. The rest of the body was fairly uniform in width, starting with the thighs and working up to the upper back, being perhaps three to four feet in width. It was just out of this world amazing. What do you think of that, Kev? Whoa. That's wild. That is wild, man. I have been, the- I've been sitting here listening, though, and uh, although Alec didn't tell us exactly where he was, I was putting every description, Boulder Field, close to the headlands of the water, into the computer, and I know exactly where he was. <laughs> really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> And I see gold in the river. <laughs> I'm just going after the gold. <laughs> I got to go, Bill. We'll finish this later. <laughs> yeah. Bah. <laughs> I pity the fool. <laughs> I need you to come along, Mr. T, to protect me. <laughs> well, speaking of gold, that dude wore a serious amount of gold. Oh, he did. Yeah, he might be. He might need to mine it. <laughs> he might have sold it since then, though. But yeah, I mean, really, really cool account. And, you know, it's interesting what he's talking about, the agility of the Bigfoot moving through the boulder field. You know, we we hear that a lot in these different accounts, you know, whether it's moving through obstacles like they're not there or climbing or even just walking up these very steep vertical grades like they were flat, you know, compared to how a human would would navigate it. Um you know, it's interesting. Yeah, and you know, another thing, uh, he's talking about this creature in the end being around seven feet tall. Of course, it's just a guesstimate, right? He was there, we yep. weren't. Yep. But during the account, he speaks of the creature stepping with a singular leg movement atop a five foot boulder. Mm. So, I, you know, I'm like, I'm looking at myself and I'm saying that would be like me raising my foot up. To like uh, uh, the upper chest hmm. to to make this type of step up, yeah, and then stepping up that distance, yeah, that's like with without a hand grab or anything. Yeah, it's that's, almost it, that's it's crazy. almost inconceivable, you know. It is inconceivable. Jeez, wow. But but you know, how about this guy? I mean, he's got a pistol in his hand. I'm sure he knew how to use it. And he decides to pursue this thing that's kind of going away from him, and he loses sight of it, but keeps going. Hmm. I, you know, I mean, you got to give the guy some credit for uh, his perseverance. You know, uh, he did say that you're going to think I'm out of my mind when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, but I went after this thing. <laughs> Jesus, wow! <laughs> we'll see and- what he did if it turned around. Yeah, well, he couldn't escape in a hurry. That's that's the no, downside. You're not going to outrun the thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, and to me, this has to be part of the reason, I believe, why people get in trouble. They're testing the waters, and the waters win. <laughs> you know, and uh, it it all it takes, all it takes is one bad decision, and it's over for you. So, oh, no you know, it. Yeah. you know, in the end of the broadcast, I always say always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. 
Uh, and I'm serious, man. You just can't have enough because when push comes to shove, if one of these things is bearing down on you and they can do it quickly, fast, and with brute force, you better be ready, brother. And I'm not talking about with a flashlight or a knocking stick uh, because you ain't, you ain't, you ain't going to punch your way out of this fight, man. Your, your head's going to pop like a pumpkin if he takes a swing at you. <laughs> Holy smoke. Oh, my Huge. God. Yeah, and this one, too, we, we heard about that uh, uh, shaggy, uh, blondish red color, you know, and it's a kind of, you know, for the folks out there, we were talking about it a few weeks ago, and when I was up in Alaska this summer, I took a picture of a few and posted one of them on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, of one of one of the blonder, shaggy big bears up there so you know no reason to believe that these uh hairy men don't come in different colors yeah i mean you know it's it's just hair look at human beings right yeah. red black brown blonde absolutely uh, you know in any mix of the two uh you know uh, and then the sightings where they say they were like uh uh gray and white i mean you know my, my hair is not the same color it was uh, 40 years ago. You know, it's like freaking white with some gray in it now, you know. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an old Bigfoot now. Hey, at least you have some. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, that was good stuff, brother. Yeah, hey, that's a great account. Yeah, what do we got waiting in the wings today with our uh, listeners? Yeah, so we got some good listener mail. And before we do that, though, I'm going to uh, talk just for a minute about some other news, not a sighting, but something kind of cool, where okay. uh, Tim Banal sent us a, a note in talking about uh, a new coin campaign in Australia where they released uh, 26 coins corresponding to the letters of the alphabet and guess which one of my favorite creatures got letter Y. Yeah. You guessed it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he is the Y coin. I'm going to have to try and get my hands on one of these. And apparently, <laughs> apparently the coin contains a cartoonish depiction of the hairy bipedal cryptid said to uh -huh. lurk in the Australian wilderness. Wow. So pretty cool. Well, yeah, that's crazy. And by the way, I have to correct you on that, Kev. That was the uh, the article about that coin that I, I knew you would love oh, to okay. see. Yeah. I, copy, I copied that and pasted it and sent it to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. I thought you wrote Sorry, this. Tim. <laughs> but we're glad you're out there, bro. Good job. But it's great news. And... Uh, <laughs> And then he also talked about uh, um, the fact that I got to look for this one, too, when I'm up in Canada, that also Canada in 2016 released a Sasquatch coin. You know, I haven't seen wow. it when I'm up there, but I'm actually going back up there next week. So I got to try and track down one of these Sasquatch coins. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, and for whatever reason, right, is it a little comic relief? Is there some sincerity in that? I don't know. I'm not there at the board table deciding what coin's going to be made. But I always think it's kind of interesting that uh, uh, people are popping these things uh, into the mix, so to speak, with now these coins, you know. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's fairly mainstream to make yeah. it onto a coin, right? You know. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, what do we have on our coins in the United States? We got president heads. We've got uh, the Jefferson Memorial on the back. Yep. Uh, we've had some specialty coins made with, uh, like, the space program things on it and yep. a whole host of things. But they're all legitimate, you know? Yeah, we don't have any hairy men on ours. What's going on here? Yeah, what is going on? Are we not American? <laughs> How about a Falk monster half dollar? There you go. Ah. I like that. <laughs> All right, so let's dive into the mail here. Uh, okay. Speaking of Canada, uh, we have a, a, an email in from Rachel in Manitoba. Hmm. She says, I'm really enjoying the show, and please, please, please don't change a thing. Uh, just got volume five in audio, and it's outrageous. What's going on out there in regards to Bigfoot activity? In the account, the fifth bullet, why do you think it takes so many rounds to put down this creature? Keep hmm. the stories coming. Regards, wow. Rachel. Wow. You know, you know, I, I fall back on, uh, I had somebody a while ago say something uh, very interesting. You know, you get tidbits. It's 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 conversation. It's it's one human being speaking to another one. But uh, he made a very good point, and the point was simple, and it was this: uh, a thirty odd six is not the weapon of choice to take down a uh, uh, a rhino, a hippopotamus, an elephant. Uh, their skin is very thick. Uh, unless you hit them right in a sweet spot or something, you're, you're typically not going to take them down with that type of weapon. And I just wondered, you know, uh, we had in the, the pheasant encounter where the guy puts two, what did he use? They were pheasant hunting, and he put two shots out of his shotgun of, like, number seven shot. Uh, on this creature at about 20 yards, and it had no effect on it whatsoever. So I say to myself, maybe their skin is really thick and leathery, uh, and this hair is growing out of it. I mean, I have no idea why you can crack something with that type of uh, bullet. Uh, in the uh, in the fifth bullet, the fellow the fellow was using an old uh, M1, uh, either a Garand or a carbine, mm -hmm. uh, and he says he was spot on. And when the creature finally dropped, he saw that he had hit it. Once it was dropped, he saw the proof that he had hit it uh, at least several times. Right. So, is it just adrenaline driving this thing? Was the bullet only in a, a couple of two or three inches and didn't uh, reach any organ? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it's probably a combination. I know when I lived out in the Pacific Northwest, you know, it seemed like once every year or two, someone would be attacked by a grizzly, you know, kind of in uh, north northern Idaho, uh, eastern Washington, and western Montana, you know, not far from where I lived. And in several accounts, I remember reading that they would find the person dead, 
after the encounter with the grizzly. And I remember one of them where the person had a nine millimeter Glock handgun and uh, there were like eight rounds fired out of the handgun, but no sign of uh, the bear. Wow. You know, and the guy was dead. So, you know, it's kind of like throwing a lot of lead at it. He had to hit it with some of the shots, right? Especially if he's being attacked. But yeah. Yet no sign of the injured bear anywhere around. That is crazy. And that's also another large creature, like a Bigfoot, right? Yeah, and a Glock, you know, 9 millimeter shell is a substantial bullet. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he, like you said, Kev... He had to have hit this thing. If he pulled the gun and was squeezing the trigger, he had to have hit it. I, I can't believe anybody would be that awful a shot. Uh, no, to you're have not, not. You know, if you have a handgun, you're not firing at a grizzly from a distance. You know, right. you're only firing at it to save your life. Right. Right. You know, so it's close by. But, you know, that, um. that reminds me of, uh, you know, one of the funny uh stories out there when you're hiking in the northwest and that's uh i don't know if you ever heard this bill but how do you tell grizzly bear scat from black bear scat uh, <laughs> i'm not sure go ahead lay it on me oh, the grizzly bear scat has bear bells in it <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness Sorry, i couldn't resist yeah yeah all right <laughs> All right, hey. so from uh, Manitoba, we're going to Sweden with Olaf. Wow. Yeah, cool. And uh, Olaf says, uh, this show is stupendous. <laughs> I think that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just how many people have seen these things? Why, it's incredible. And why no bodies been presented to the public is a travesty. Nevertheless, as you say, the amount of circumstantial evidence alone is enough to convict. Blessings to both of you, Olaf. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Olaf. Uh, yeah, circumstantial evidence. How many times are we going to say this? If, if a fraction of the circumstantial evidence was brought to bear against you or I in the courtroom, we'd be convicted. No doubt. And... Uh, the amount of people, uh, you know, I won't get into it right now, but there certainly seems to be more than an ample supply of uh, bodies found and things here and there. And why they're not brought to bear, I don't know. I, you know, I really try not to waste my time on it, and I, I, I enjoy rather to continue uh, this activity of somewhat of a conduit. Uh, for information to get out there, out there, and just continue the conversation. You know, it's not really worth troubling ourselves over uh, who believes and who doesn't. You know, it's like a waste of your time and energy and breath. So why bother? Yep, I'm with you. I'm you with know, you. fully agree. All right, mm -hmm. we're going from Sweden back to the United States from Freddie in Louisiana. All right. So Freddie says, love your accounts of the Rougarou. I have all of your books. Do you think that this is a cre that this creature is akin to the Bigfoot or not? I also love your take. Uh, sorry, I also love your take on the demonic in regards to a fair amount of this. Most people do not even consider that such a thing is possible, but most people would not include myself. 
Mm. Great, great job. Well, there you go. And, uh, Freddie, you answered your own question. And I was just touching on this earlier in the show. Uh, I don't think there's any relationship at all uh, between the Rougarou and the Bigfoot, unless you're talking about the mimicked Bigfoot, which I've spoken about many times and will going into the future. Uh, I think the Rougarou and uh, a fair amount of the Bigfoot sightings are of the demonic realm. I think they're fabricated. This is not a living creature. Uh, it does have a body, but it can go and come uh, into our realm. I know that's a lot of weirdness for a lot of you to listen to, but uh, when you have an encounter with an angel and the thing lays its hand on you and then vanishes, you know what I'm talking about. You can't lay your hand on somebody if you don't have a hand. Hmm. And you can't vanish unless you have the capability to vanish. So there are two sides of that where you come in and you go out where the other one is just bound to the earth. It's a creature like a lion, a tiger, or a bear. Oh, my. <laughs> so that's really where I'm going with that. What do you think of that, Kev? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's part of it. And the Rougarou, right, the, the overall legend goes back hundreds of years, right, into France, where it's really about the werewolf, you know, and uh, all of the legends around werewolves. And it's hard to think of a werewolf without thinking about the demonic realm. Now, I think also with the Rougarou, though, that this legend came over from France uh, into uh, um, uh, French-Canadian parts of Canada, like Quebec, yeah. and then also down in Louisiana. And mm -hmm. I do think that there is part of it could be uh, that there's such a strong legend of Rougarou that maybe folks are, you know, maybe there is a Bigfoot down there and they're superimposing that, you know, hundreds of years of legend on top of it and thinking it's more of the Rougarou rather than the Bigfoot. You know, well, I think that's yeah. a possibility, too. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But then what about the descriptions of the dog head? Oh, I the know. Cane, that makes no the, sense. Yeah. Yeah, the canine wolf head. I agree. Uh, so that that's a, that's a real twister thrown in there you know what i mean no doubt about it yeah i mean i, I get the idea of seeing a bigfoot and saying ah, pierre it's a rougarou <laughs> you know <laughs> ah, put down, for your, life, put down your, your croissant <laughs> <laughs> put down your croissant you fool <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> Don't give that croissant to that Rougarou. <laughs> we just lost some of our French listeners. <laughs> ah, they'll be back. Get over it. Merci, merci. <laughs> oh my! Ah, oh, Kevin, that's too funny. All right, our uh, last, our last letter for the week <laughs> is from Nareen in Turkey. So out, out to the eastern part of Europe, Middle East, halfway between the east and the far east, whatever we want to classify Turkey. Very, very entertaining material. Here's my question. How do I see one? Wow. Wow. Well, how do I see one? You know, very interesting. Think about this for a second. 
when you bought a house, what's the fella's name? Narim. I think it's a fella. I don't know. All right. Narim. Man, woman, we're sorry. Uh, it's just uh, we're not familiar with the, uh, the names in that region of the world. Let's just say, Narim, you purchase a home. When you buy that home, are you thinking that house is going to burn down anytime soon? I mean, it sounds like a stupid question, right? Like, where are you going with this, Bill? Nobody moves into a house thinking it's going to burn down. But the fact is that nationally and globally, houses do burn down, and nobody's ever expecting that it's going to be theirs. Mm. You go out thinking you're going to look for a Bigfoot. The odds of you finding a Bigfoot or you being the person that's going to see the Bigfoot are probably similar to those of your own house burning down during your lifetime. You don't plan for it. Uh, You have no knowledge of it happening until the day of the event. And then it's your turn in the fire, so to speak. This Bigfoot is seen in a very random and happenstance type of manner by almost everybody that sees it. Uh, Very few people have had multiple encounters, uh, but some people have. Some people have been hit by lightning. Some people have won the lottery two or three times. Think of that. But your average person will never win the lottery. Your average person will never be hit by lightning, and your average person will never see a Bigfoot. I mean, we have people who go out there looking for these creatures on a regular basis and haven't seen one. They say they heard one. They've seen some evidence. Some of them have a fleeting photograph. Some of them have a thermal image where they're saying what you see right here is a Bigfoot. But we're not really seeing all that much. So in regards to your question, I don't think you can say, go here and see one. Uh, The fact of the matter is, Nareem, I don't believe you will ever see one. What do you think, Kev? Yeah, it's good. I didn't know where you were going with the uh, burning house uh, description, but it makes perfect sense. You know, I think that, you know, if you really want to see one, you got to spend a lot of time outdoors, you know, uh, maybe as like a forest ranger, you know, in the Pacific Northwest or something like that, where they spend a fair amount of their time, as I understand it, hiking around by themselves, you know, to different places. But again, they're not looking for Bigfoot, Sasquatch, but then in fact, maybe they come across it, you know, just by chance and not when they expect to come across it. So, you know, my simple answer would be, you got to spend a lot of time outdoors uh, in places where they are seen frequently, uh, like the Pacific Northwest. Right. And and so many of the accounts, we had, uh, I'm thinking of this one in particular right now, these two guys, bosom buddies, hunting buddies, uh, they had spent an outrageous amount of time hiking and hunting together commenting on that they knew everything that lived and breathed and crawled and nested in the area in which they hunt. And then the day came when a Bigfoot stepped across a narrow creek behind them. 
And that was it. Just stepped across right. from the trees, took a step across this four-foot-wide creek, and stepped into the woods on the other side. That was the end of it. What does that take? Two seconds? Yeah, or so many of these sightings, too, Bill, where people are driving down the road at night, thinking about, you know, their next day, what they have to do at work, maybe a project they're late on, et cetera. And then, wow, something pops out of the woods, and they're like, what the heck was that? You know, I exactly. know it wasn't a bear, I know it wasn't a deer, and I know it wasn't a person, but I don't know what it was. But right. again, they weren't planning on seeing it. No, no. So. And and so uh, you think of the lightning strike scenario. Boom, and you're on the ground. Yep. And how many hours and seconds and minutes are you alive? And then in that split second, boom, you're hit by lightning. Yep. And you're not planning for it. You never thought it would happen to you. And wham, you're presented with it. Yep. Uh, mm. And the consequences. So it's the same thing. You're not thinking when you buy the house that your house is going to be the one that burns down. But, you know, by God, they do. And uh, it's a rare occasion. But when it happens to you, when you see a Bigfoot, you're going to know what you saw and that it did happen to you. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, is that a wrap today, Kev? That's it, Bill. All right. So once again, we want to thank our uh, listeners for tuning in. Uh, without you, we don't have a show. Uh, please leave us some great feedback. Uh, come to our um, page, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Contact us. Let us know if you've seen anything. And certainly, go out of your way, go out on a limb, tear your wallet out of your pocket, <laughs> and buy a book or an audio book or something, uh, and you'll be doing us a great service. Yeah, and, and thank you uh, to all of you that have been leaving those very positive reviews on your favorite podcast player, whether it's iTunes or whatnot. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to leave a review. Yeah, fantastic. All right, then. And, my friends, until we meet again, remember, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.